Hi, I'm Victor Kubik, President of the United Church of God. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Inside United. Today we'll have a slightly different format for the podcast. I'll be having a discussion about important recent events going on in Ukraine, namely the invasion by the Russians on February 24th. And I'll be talking with one of our new producers here, Scott Buchanan. Howdy. Uh, it's good to be here. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Kind of reversing roles here, but <laughs> but I'll have to say that Scott and I have known each other from another podcast experience that we had, mm-hmm. and Scott had his own podcast for a while. I did, yeah. Which I think is in Mothballs right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's in Mothballs. Yeah, I've, I've tried to go back and listen to a couple episodes because I don't even have the RSS feed anymore. I think it's on... It's on something, but it, there's so many hoops to go through to listen to it that I don't even bother anymore. <laughs> well, that kind of made me, I remember how well he asked questions. He talked to my <laughs> wife and I, and we talked. That was a long podcast. That was like 40 minutes yeah, or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, go ahead. Well, I just want to thank you for uh, for coming in and talking to us. You know, we were t- discussing uh, how we wanted today to go, and uh, uh, we knew that we wanted to talk about Ukraine, and we thought, who better to do that than you? But you can't interview yourself, so uh, you asked me to come in here and, and take care of that for you. M- many people do know that you are very deeply tied to Ukraine, but for those of us who d- might not know all that kind of stuff, could you just give us a very brief summary of uh, of why this impacts you so so much and so severely? I am Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. I'm an, actually an American of Ukrainian descent, a naturalized American. I was born in a refugee camp in Germany after World War II. Okay, my parents were refugees part of millions of people, just as right now, that were driven from their homes and ended up not knowing where they were going. Mm-hmm. They escaped from the Russians, right? and uh, they found themselves in a refugee camp in Germany. They married there, and then uh, in 1947, I was born, and I was almost two years old before my parents found and were resettled in the United States. Wow, that's a long time to be there. But but they bided their time in this refugee camp for four years. Man. And then we came to the United States, and the only language I spoke was Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. I didn't speak English until I was in kindergarten. Wow. In fact, the kindergarten teachers told my parents, teach this kid talk English <laughs> at home, <laughs> because I, I didn't know English. Right. And it had to be something I learned in class and from picking it up from people, but... It's been a blessing because Ukrainian has really been part of my DNA. Mm-hmm. And my parents made sure that we spoke Ukrainian at home as well uh, so that we wouldn't forget that language. And I'm glad for that because I'm fluent in Ukrainian. Right, it's part of your heritage, right? Right, it's part of my heritage, it's part of my training, mm-hmm. and part of my thinking you know, as, as well. I-, I wanted to ask you... Uh, myself, I'm a, a ignorant millennial, so <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know the history of all this stuff. I know that you know, if I could put it in, in a very concise description, it, it seems to me that Ukraine used to be a part of Russia, and now Putin wants it back. Uh, and that's about as simple as I can put it. Could you explain further as to why all this is going on? Well, that's what they say, being uh, Russia absorbed 15 republics, at one time 16 republics, mm-hmm. some of who had no desire whatsoever to be part of the USSR, like the Baltic republics, Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia, you know, those republics, and the Islamic ones, you know, way out east, Uzbekistan and others, they just kind of sucked them up into a huge empire. Mm-hmm. But going back in history, it's interesting to note that there was a province on the Dnieper River called the Kievan Rus, mm-hmm. uh, called Rus, R-U-S. Actually, Russia got its name, you know, from that. But 
that has become what was originally the city of, of Kiev. But then historically, you know, there was other invaders that came to Ukraine. They were from the east, mm-hmm. the Mongolian people. And, you know, that came from way, way, you know, China way. And, and they, they came through Ukraine because Ukraine is a country without natural borders. Mm-hmm. It's a big wheat field. <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of on the route to Europe. It was north of the Black Sea. And it was a convenient way to, you know, to, to pass through. Mm-hmm. And so marauders came there. Then there were wars with the Polish people. There were wars with, with others. Turkey was always invading Ukraine you know, from the south. They'd come, across, they'd come across the Black Sea, and they would you know, raise villages, mm-hmm. take people as slaves and women as mm-hmm. you know, sex slaves. It was, it was just a terrible, terrible history. But it, finally, what happened is that this kingdom to the north, the Moscow kingdom, the people who would call the Moskali, they're the ones who then dominated Ukraine for hundreds of years. Okay. And it became part of Russia, not, not something that they wanted, mm-hmm. but, but it was forced upon them. Gotcha. But the Ukrainians had their own language. They have a distinct culture that's different from, from Russian, mm-hmm. and they have their own identity you know, to this very day. Mm-hmm. And they have always wanted to, to be free. Right. And Russia, though, says, well, you've been part of us, and you know, we want you. But... Mostly it's an economic thing because they have the wealth, they have a concentration of population, mm-hmm. they have warm water ports, they have all these things that nation wants. Right. But Russia is a country that was huge, the largest country in the world, and it had no warm water ports. Mm-hmm. It, it was amazing. Peter the Great had to fight a war with Sweden just to get this little idol to get this area for Leningrad or St. Petersburg at that time Mm -hmm. to be the outlet through the Baltic Sea to get out. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, Russia had only one port coming into it that was near Murmansk. Is that Uh, way up on the... North Sea. Oh, okay. You know, that was uh, up there in the Arctic. It was closed Mm -hmm. for a part of the year because because of ice. Russia didn't have that. When you take a look at Russia, its biggest rivers flow to the north into the Arctic Sea, out oh, in Siberia. Okay. And it's an area that's not been blessed with, you might say, sea gates, with land gates, you know, with natural ways to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when they got into the Baltic Sea, they had to s- sail past Sweden, past Norway, mm-hmm. <laughs> past Denmark, all these countries to get out into the open sea. Right. That's been very frustrating you know, to the Russians. So they have, one reason why they have tried to expand and do things was to get to these areas where they could navigate the world. Mm-hmm. The Swedes called the Russians a bear in a cave with a little peephole for light. <laughs> 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 and so Russia has always wanted to dominate Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Ukraine had a few years of independence after World War I, but basically it got back under Soviet rule. Mm-hmm. And in my lifetime, and as I was growing up, I never thought that Ukraine would ever be free. It was almost a given that we would always be dominated. We always felt dominated. We felt like we were not a free country. We wanted to be free, but we weren't free. Mm-hmm. And then in 1991, the Soviet Union just fell apart. 
a little bit time in coming, mm -hmm. but we never thought that the Berlin Wall would fall. We never thought that the USSR would break apart into 15 republics. Mm -hmm. We never thought those things would happen. And in a bloodless revolution or bloodless separation, Ukraine became an independent country in 1991. Mm -hmm. And so since 1991, which is like 31 years, I've been able to work in that area. Mm. I've been able to do certain things, you know, as far as spiritual, of spiritual nature, of humanitarian nature, you know, of, of things of, of friendship back and forth uh, with us that have been done. So when this invasion by the Russians to take back Ukraine, that was Putin's, you know, desire. He felt like the falling apart of the USSR in 1991 was the greatest calamity ever to hit that nation. Mm -hmm. So he's setting it right, and that's why he's doing that. In typical dictator fashion, that seems to be the typical thought pattern, is we were so great, we'd had all this stuff, and now it's gone, and it's now my job to bring it all back. That's a big part of his, his thinking. Mm -hmm. Of course, his uh, also is, is linked to his paranoia of Western Europe, yeah. of, of the Germans, because Putin himself was a child in Leningrad. Uh, well, actually, he was born after World War II. He's 69 years old mm -hmm. uh, right now. But he was in Leningrad where his mother and the other children lived. And they lived through the siege of Leningrad, mm -hmm. which was more than two years. that The Germans encircled the city, starved it out, and a million and a half people died, wow. including Putin's older brother, Victor. Mm -hmm. And so they have that tragedy that's in them of here's what they did from Western Europe. Here's what they might do again. Right. Our friends are not really Germans. They have tried Western Europe with Napoleon, with Hitler, to, to dominate us, and it's always going to be a threat. Mm -hmm. They still feel that. You do a lot of work there now still. Like You have a lot of ties to Ukraine. You have your, your charity, LifeNuts, mm -hmm. that does mm -hmm. a lot of good work there. Uh, could you expand on that a little bit? In 1999, my wife and I started a charity called LifeNets, mm -hmm. which was really based around work in Chernobyl. Right. And with a, a doctor who at that time was an elder in the United Church of God, we traveled back to the Chernobyl area three different times mm -hmm. and start, helped establish a center for rehabilitating children. So once again, I just got deeply uh, involved in this, and this thing grew to where it was just a very big part, right. you know, part of me. We've developed a relationship with the medical people over there. But another side thing with all of this was our finding people who were like faith mm. as we are, you know, in the things that we believe, namely the Sabbath, uh, namely our view of life and death, of what the Holy Spirit is, mm -hmm. as some of the core things that we believe about the nature of God, uh, the keeping of the Sabbath. Some of them keep holy days, some do not, but we found that we were very compatible <laughs> as far as even the things that we eat and the things that we believe in mm -hmm. and what we believe about the kingdom of God, how we view heaven, all these things that are somewhat counter mainstream Christianity. Right. We found a compatibility here. Right. So we've gone back to these people many times. Some of them have come over here. Some of them have migrated here. Uh, to the United States. Some have been refugees themselves from Muslim areas oh, wow. that, that we helped. So that was one of the first projects that LifeNets had. So anyway, I'm just kind of painting a picture of just my involvement 
uh, with the, these people. Right. And so I could imagine now that having all of that threatened now, you know, it, it hits, hits really close to home. It hits very, it hurts. very, very close to home. What has happened here. Yeah. So, uh, with these people, we have had projects with children, mostly camps, and we had a very notable one, and we had many, many people from the United Church of God go over to work in Vinogradov with a street children's program. Okay. And uh, that has, it was a program was like somewhat like a camp uh, environment mm-hmm. and somewhat like an educational. We taught English as a second language. Oh, okay. And we did that for about five straight years. We brought wow. over teams of people from the United States, school teachers. Um, ABC students, mm-hmm. uh, my family members, and they did a great job in in uh, working in that that's area. Awesome, that's that's great. So that's that's part of my uh, Ukrainian connection. So when this happened, this uh, attack mm-hmm. on Ukraine, it, it's been just very very discomforting. It's been just very very upsetting. Yeah, uh, personally, emotionally, but we've kind of come to grips with it, and we are now very much in. A position to help out. So in terms of that, uh, could you give us an example? I know that you have a lot of uh, connections over there right now that you're still talking to mm-hmm. uh, fairly mm-hmm. regularly or mm-hmm. as much as you can. What's life like there now? Well, this is an interesting thing, uh, Scott, is that many people who are helping Ukrainian refugees are helping them after they get out. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of them, at least 5 million right now. They say it'll be upwards of 10 million, which will be about a fourth of the population of the country wow. is going to you know, evacuate from there. But we are working within Ukraine, mm-hmm. and where the Sabbath keeping, the ones of like faith to us, right. they're in the West, okay. and the West has not been so touched by what's happened, although they did blow up an oil dump <laughs> this Man. last week, and um, I still talk to people even in the Sabbath keeping areas where there are sirens going off uh, constantly, and people can't sleep, they're on edge, mm-hmm. uh, they don't know what what will happen from where the Russians will come. Right. That's the way it, that, that has been. So we've been helping people inside of Ukraine. We can still get funds into Ukrainian banks to where they can buy things and they can use it. Mm-hmm. But there are other parts of Ukraine where we cannot do that. In fact, this morning I'm working with people in Chernihiv. And by the way, you mentioned about what types of people we're working with. One is the religious element, so to speak. Right. The second is the people with a center of rehabilitation for children. Mm-hmm. Very notable doctors. We have a, a friendship that is almost closer than family you know, mm-hmm. with, with them. Yeah. Very, very, very tight uh, with them in how we regard each other. We stay in contact with Messenger mostly. Okay. And they only have electricity like two hours uh, a day. Wow. And all we c- communicate lately here was short quick um, mess, messenger messages mm-hmm. because they it's just very, very sparse. Is that easier now that Elon Musk has launched those satellites over there to help with the... Well, they say that, you know, but I don't, I don't know how much good that's done really? because they've oh. been kind of... They said they said they did that, but we can't reach them, you know. It's, mm. it, it, it's not as... what Unless that's the backbone for what, for what they have there. Okay. But what they do is through, you know, satellite communications and perhaps Elon Musk, but I cannot... I confirm that. Okay. But we do have contact with them. We didn't for a while, mm-hmm. but I have uh, written about this in a coming article in the Beyond Today magazine where I include part of a letter from a doctor who talks about, you know, the one we work with. Right. Where they cannot leave. 
these are people who are trapped in their city, encircled totally by Russians. And here we're communicating with them by messenger. Hmm. And they talk about some of their uh, people who work at the center. One was killed by a shell. Uh, they live in, in the middle of the city. And as you've seen on television, these rockets and shells and missiles you know, are headed for randomly at apartment houses. You don't know if you're going to be the next one hit. Mm -hmm. It's winter there. You know, it's March, middle March now. It's warming up a little bit, but there's, there's snow on the ground. Now, that's the second group of people I, I work with. And the third group of people I work with are my family. Mm -hmm. I have uh, a cousin and his family that live in Kharkiv. And Kharkiv was very, very badly attacked. Right. And, and, uh, but very, very badly uh, mauled by Russian artillery fire. Is that where they, they blew up that bridge? Nope. That's uh, actually where our doctors are. Oh, okay. And I've crossed that bridge so many times. It's across the Desna River. Mm -hmm. It's the main highway between Kiev and Chernihiv, which is a distance of about 100 miles. Mm. And, you know, it, it's got a beautiful view into the city. And when I saw that they blew that bridge up, I said, why? Why do that? Because the bridge really had no military uh, special, maybe it did, you know, people crossing it. Mm -hmm. But it could have been a lifeline for humanitarian relieving people of, say, let's get people out. You know, let's, let's get the women and children, you know, uh, out of town. Well, they seem to be targeting civilians now anyway. I heard that they bombed that theater that had the, you know, they spelled out in, in rocks outside mm -hmm. of the theater that there's children in here, but yeah. they still bombed it. So it doesn't seem like they much care about maintaining civilian life anymore. They don't. They, they, they had no military success. Mm -hmm. they, they attacked. It's a very unmotivated Russian uh, army. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be like, these are people who have relatives between Ukraine and Russia. Mm -hmm. and, and so why should we be doing that? Why are people from Ohio killing people from Indiana? Right. I mean, it, it's about the same thing. Right. But, the, you know, I, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like the Russians don't even know why they're there a lot of time. Right. They were, they've been lied to as to why they're there. They mm -hmm. said, this is a special operation. When you come to Ukraine, you'll be welcomed, which was a lie, mm -hmm. because they were met with machine gun fire. Right. You know? I mean, the, the, this was an inv invasion. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, they s saw what was happening, that their comrades are falling by the thousands. Their, their losses for the Russians are just huge. They don't know why they're there. They're not motivated. Morale at the pits. The Russian soldiers have even turned on one another, mm -hmm. wondering what they are. They've had changes in leadership and generals over and over again. Mm -hmm. So they failed there. So what the Russian tactic changed to was to target civilian areas. That included hospitals. That included maternity wards. Mm -hmm. That included like the theater. They knew that there were people that were there for refuge. There were 300 people that I believe were killed there with the theater. Mm -hmm. They knew that there were civilians there. Right. And uh, they are doing that to scare the people, to get them to surrender. And yet what it's done is brought out a stronger resolve mm -hmm. to, re to resist them. So we're looking right now day by day to see what the Russians really will do. The big fear is, is that the Russians will escalate this to using uh, chemical, chemical warfare, mm -hmm. or they will even use nuclear, tactical nu nuclear weapons, and they're just dangling that over the U.S. And so the whole world's on edge. Mm -hmm. And deservedly so, I would say. You know, I saw that video that you posted last week on your Facebook about just how quickly 
nuclear war escalates and just how many people are going to die within, you know, just a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. And it's scary to think about that. Uh, we certainly didn't think that <laughs> after the last two years it could get any worse, but now here we are. So, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely something to, to think about and to pray about, certainly, you know, mm -hmm. not only for the people of Ukraine, but the, the leaders of Russia and the United States and everyone else just is able to keep a cool head and, and not, uh, you know, escalate. <laughs> Well, I definitely want to get into this. Maybe next time we could talk about maybe the steps that led up to what's going on now. Kind of, uh, I, I would like to talk about Crimea because mm -hmm. that happened a couple of years ago. And mm -hmm. I think that might have just kind of emboldened him to make these steps that he's taking now. So thank you very much for meeting with us today and for answering all these questions and sharing your experiences. We're going to try to do a couple more of these. So we'll uh, hopefully have those coming out in the, in the coming weeks. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for joining us on Inside United. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it on social media to tell your friends about us. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting app. We post new episodes every Thursday. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments and questions to podcast at ucg.org. Have a great week. Come back soon for more. This is a production of the United Church of God. For more, visit ucg.org.